What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Today, we are going to go through a topic that we have covered once before, but uh, it's been quite some time. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been probably at least over a year. Oh, it's probably been two, unless we've done it multiple times, but this was the one that, the only one that we ever recorded and then had to ditch for audio purposes and re-record. Oh, man. You know what? I totally forgot about that. Yeah. You're right. We're going to be talking acne vulgaris today. Yep. But uh, he's totally right because we recorded it with a student, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Morgan. Morgan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, who knows what I did, but I did something to screw up the audio to where it was like horrific. It was like blow your eardrums out because the sound was all messed up. It was out. just skipping really hard too. Skip, skip. Yeah. Sounded like we were trying to be a DJ while we were recording a podcast. That'd and be it fun. Just, it just wasn't, it didn't have the same feel as music does. So we, uh, yeah, we had to throw that one in the trash. It was it's entirely one. possible that it's, that we've done it since then, but I don't believe so. Yeah. I haven't gotten any word that we have, like where we like just uploaded it and didn't realize it skips like crazy. Oh, no, no. I mean like, <laughs> I mean, Is we may have, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, we may have done acne like a second time. Oh, this gotcha. is the third. I didn't check, but there's yeah. some good new stuff anyway. So yeah. New, some, some new matter. drugs. Um, but yeah, it was one of our first, probably like episode three or four originally. And oh we yeah. Redo it. First top 10. But, um, yeah. And we were actually just talking about, before we started recording, we were just talking about, uh, our earlier episodes and for some reason, and I think it has to do with when we switched hosting and all that, um, with the audio files themselves. But I like think on iTunes, it's hard to find like our older videos. Yeah. I think it starts at episode 34. So, um, if you go on Spotify, Spotify, right? That, that Spotify has list. everything. So they are still out there. We we didn't like take them down or anything like that, even though we maybe should. Um, but the uh, the older ones are. No, on there. some people. Listen, I know people listen to this on Spotify. Yeah. So oh, they, you mean we should have taken off our old ones because they're just because they're garbage. Yeah, but you got to see where you came from. You it's know? true. It's true. So um, yeah, they are still up there. So if you want to listen to the older ones, I'm I'm gonna look into trying fixing the iTunes thing, but. I'm definitely not promising I'm going to succeed in that in that front. So um, definitely check out Spotify. It's free on Spotify, too. Even if you don't have, like, Spotify Premium or anything, you can still listen to the podcast. And, um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, good. Cole, how's it going? How's life going? Good. I realized we didn't do a sound check, so we are, like, living on the edge today. We sure didn't. Yeah, <laughs> it looks good, though. <laughs> sure does. I'm also eating ice, too. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, I see waveforms, so I think we're good to go. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. I yeah. see some big ones, though. Hopefully those are our last. I'm sure it's because we reorganized the, um, or Mike reorganized the um, the recording studio to set up for somebody to help us with like uh, IT and technical stuff, which looks really great. Um, but I'm sure that's why we forgot to do the, the yeah. sound check. There's a, there's a bunch of, there's a table now set up where the producer will, will sit one day. However, um, it's got all these cool buttons and all these things to post. None of it's hooked up, so <laughs> it's not really uh, able to switch camera angles or anything like that at this point. Hopefully soon, though. Um, that's my uh, goal this week is to finish that nonsense up. Oh, yeah. That's a work in progress, but it'll be great. Yeah, we'll see. I like the um, be aesthetic. I like the, the black aesthetic. Too. You like that? Yeah. You know what that is? That's a, uh, I was going to get a sheet, like a regular a, sheet. Is that a bed sheet? You know, but that, what I did, though, <laughs> if you'll notice, it's got like the, uh, the little elastic thing at the bottom. Yeah, it's a fitted because I bought the wrong part of the sheet. <laughs> I bought the uh, part that goes on the bed, and then you put the sheet over. I was like, unbelievable. But I was too lazy to go back to Target because it was amazing. a whole thing. They so sell those now, individually? 
Apparently they do. It's been a while since I bought something for a twin bed because um, I'm not 11. But uh, I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard, but that is amazing. And I was like, oh, look at this. This is so typical of this podcast. It's, a little it's just <laughs> a bed sheet. It's a bed sheet. I was like, all right, well, this is what we're going with for right now. So I just put it on oh, there and left. I, I'll upgrade it. I've like, never seen that they sell in those like six years. in anything less than like a two-pack. No. Oh, yeah. No, no. Turns out, <laughs> turns out you can get them individually easily. That's great. I was like, oh, geez, of course I got the wrong sheet. So there's that. Whew, I haven't laughed in a while. I'm just kidding. Very depressed a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump into this. Now that we're, God knows how long into banter that we're going to get yelled at for in the comments. The, the screen's way over there, so we don't know how yeah, long it's been. That's true. I can't see it from here. <laughs> All right, acne. Um, I guess we'll just go through uh, some of the basic... Uh, background information and whatnot, which hopefully is a review if you've heard these uh, this topic before from us. Um, but acne vulgaris being a common inflammatory disorder, um, typically it's going to be involving the uh, pilus sebaceous units. So it can be either like the hair uh, follicle itself, or it could be the sebaceous duct. Um, but basically what it is is this, this uh, hyperkeratinization of the keratinocytes. Um, then because they're rapidly producing and whatnot, they, um, die off quicker than normally and they can basically end up accumulating and blocking, um, that sebaceous duct or the hair follicle, whatever it may be. Um, there's, there's two different kinds of, uh, I guess two different versions of the initial form, form, um, that it can take. And that's either, um, what we like to commonly refer to as like whiteheads or blackheads. So the technical term for that is either is a comedone. So it can be either closed or open. When it's closed, it means that basically that material itself has accumulated um, and the sebum and all that stuff is also accumulated in that, uh, that duct or hair follicle and it's kind of plugged it. And so it's not open to like the outside air. And so that's what we typically refer to as like a whitehead when we have like that, you know, like the just the pus and all that nastiness that everybody likes to pop and pull Thanks. out of the duct. It is what it you is. You know what I don't get? What's that? Those look like Dr. Pimple Popper videos. You don't like those? Oh, do you like those? Uh, Dude. No. no. Only sociopaths like that stuff. It's Listen, whacked up. how dare you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I get the whole, like, it's satisfying thing. I can get on board with some of those types of videos. I don't want to do it myself, necessarily. Like, I wouldn't want to just find people and just start taking stuff out of their skin. But, I mean, I'm not going to not. That's probably put, some sort of assault. I'm not going to not. Well, I'm talking about... Yeah, <laughs> definitely don't want to do it in a salty kind of way. And then, uh, but like, even like as a patient, like I wouldn't really probably want to do that on a day to day basis. But um, if I see a link, I'm not going to not click it. <laughs> I'm going to see what it's about. That Dr. Pimple Popper dermatologist, she's killing it. She's got like her own TV oh, show. Oh, I'm sure she's doing great. She's doing way better than we are. I'm, I'm very <laughs> sure about that. start popping some stuff. That, okay. I'm, I, would I be willing to pop pimples to be famous? Hmm. Yes. The answer to that is yes, Cole. Okay. So if anybody has any... Uh, Maybe you can... Look, listen. You pop them. I'll film them. All right. That All works. Right. There All we right. go. Now we Good. have a new show. Yep. She's still going to be way better than us. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's going back to that, sorry, is the uh, the comedomes that are considered like blackheads or open comedomes are those that have the same kind of you know contents of them as the keratinocytes that are you know dead and kind of accumulating um then you mix in like some oxidized lipids uh and things like that and especially when you start combining that with like 
melanin and whatnot um, to the open air, if you will. Um, that can cause that like dark formation um, of the comedone, and that's where we get the term blackhead from, which will show up as that um, you know black spot you typically see in one of your pores. Um, and a lot of times you get them, people get them on the nose and like on the chin and stuff sometimes. But um, comedones, so those whiteheads, blackheads, that's the common terminology that we're all familiar with. Yeah, I'm having some PTSD going through this topic because um, it just reverts me right back to high school, especially because there are some nice visuals here that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Sad. And you know, um, I think that uh, acne is becoming, this is timely because the masks, I'm sure, are making people break out more than they usually would. Just trapping like moisture and um, mm. friction and stuff like that. I bet there's more acne going on probably. right now than there usually is. That's probably true. Yeah. So as the that those keratinocytes and whatnot are kind of accumulating and that, that sebum is accumulating and causing that plug, the bacteria um, that grows in the skin, um, it's more one form of bacteria. So there's the QD bacterium acnes. Um, which used to be called Propionibacterium acnes, and they've changed the name to Cutibacterium acnes, which I always think cutie is a weird name for a bacteria, but that's what it's called. Um, I felt pretty ugly when uh, yeah, no, I had some no, I, I definitely was. Um, high school is a dark time. <laughs> no, but uh, it's an anaerobic lipophilic um, bacteria, and it really kind of thrives in the sebum-rich environment. So if that bacteria gets trapped into that um, plugged hair follicle or um, sebaceous gland or sebaceous sac area, then you basically have a buffet for this bacteria to kind of live on. Um, lots of things can kind of be responsible for that sebum, uh, rich environment, that increase in sebum production. Um, it could be something as simple as, you know, hormone uh, changes as a child's going through puberty and things like that. So like rises in like DHEA levels. Um, it could be difference uh, in, or changes rather in androgenic hormones. So you know, things like uh, certain pro progesterone or progesterone or, or certain synthetic progestins. Um, it could be testosterone, uh, especially dihydrotestosterone. We think about it as being like a and very androgenic um, on top of its anabolic properties. And so anything like that can basically cause that excessive sebum production and then allow this bacteria to kind of flourish. Um, I always think about the, the example I've used in like class and things like that is with like anabolic steroids, testosterone in particular. I always think of uh, the, the joke when, when you see athletes and things like that where they have kind of used it for athletic performance enhancement type thing. A lot of them will get like quote unquote back knee because a lot of them will have really bad breakouts of acne on their back or shoulders and whatnot. Right. And it's because you're, when you're injecting that much extra testosterone that you don't have naturally and uh, you're having it converted to dihydrotestosterone, then your those, those anabolic um, properties that you're looking for aren't the only thing that's going to happen. You're also going to greatly increase your androgenic properties, which right. then throws off your oil secretion or sebaceous gland secretion and um, really going to make a make it easy for acne to grow so um once that that area becomes kind of um, you know inflamed because all this is going on that bacteria is you know triggering that then you basically get that papular pustule that can start to form mm -hmm. and then it could even lead to the follicular like wall actually rupturing spilling in that you know the, that bacteria and the other components of that um area that have kind of built up um into the surrounding dermis and that ends up forming a potential like nodule or like cystic acne that we think about in more severe cases yeah it's like a cascade 
it's a really cascade, bad cascade you don't want to have. No. So that's open and closed comedomes. Um, yeah, you mentioned papular or pustular acne. So usually um, the acne's a bit inflamed and can be two to five millimeter papules or pustules, which is significant. Um, nodular acne. So uh, patients would present with red, firm nodules um, that can be fluctuant, cyst-like maybe, um, that may drain or form sinus tracts. Interestingly, uh, these lesions may leave permanent scars. So I've, I've known people and uh, that have had significant acne in high school and then it leaves scars. And that's part of the treatment criteria too. If it, if you feel like it's causing scars and that is a sign of, of more significant or severe acne and you might be indicated for different treatments. Uh, but when these lesions are extensive and severe, um, it can be called acne conglobata, which is an very, interesting term. Very, very severe. I yeah. Um, so nodular, it, it's noticeable because they are um, red and usually larger in circumference than other things. Um, so you do want to diagnose the acne, determine the type, and that might help you know determine which treatment you should use or what's the significant causative factor. So comedonal acne, there's open and closed, like we said. Um, it does not have inflammatory papules or nodules. Um, there's mild and moderate acne, so comedomes plus a few inflammatory papules and pustules. Um, moderate would be comedomes plus inflammatory papules and pustules, but they have more lesions um, than in milder inflammatory acne. And then there's more severe acne, which would be your nodulocystic acne. Um, so you've got the comedomes, you've got papules and pustules, but then you have the large nodules. And if you were to measure them, they'd be greater than about five millimeters in diameter. And usually uh, there's scarring involved in that. And, and that's hard too because there's not there's not like a set like criteria for the different like severities of acne there's at least that I've seen I know um, there's some kind of guidance but most of it's based on just like clinical judgment as yeah. far as where you want to put them you know it um, when you see it and yeah. I guess I guess how significant the patient feels like it is I mean you can see from a dermatologic standpoint too but how much distress are they having over it and that sort of thing yeah. So once you've kind of established, okay, this patient needs treatment, um, before even selecting the actual drug that you want the patient to be on, I think it's important to kind of establish which vehicle you want to use, especially uh, uh, when it comes to topical products. Obviously, if it's a if it's an oral product, you're probably going tablet or capsule, calling it a day. <laughs> um, the topical agents is a little bit more uh, important. So just some kind of rules of thumb. Uh, one thing I know when I was in school and whatnot, I always used to kind of consider like a gel and an ointment the same thing, but they're definitely not. Um, and the the gel in, in the case of like products for acne, gels actually have like a drying effect. They help to kind of evaporate some of the oil on the skin. Um, and those would be what we, we would kind of prefer for patients with oily skin, which to me sounds very like counterintuitive the way I would normally think about a gel. Um, but that is the case. It has like this drying effect. Now, if a patient has really dry skin, you know, flaky skin because it's it's just dried up and just kind of flaking off, um, creams uh, would definitely be a better option because they kind of act as a sort of a simple moisturizer. Um, and then if you have a patient that, let's say they have dry skin, but it's over a very large area, like, you know, all over their back or shoulders or anything, applying a cream or any other type of, you know, ointment, gel, anything like that, it's going to be very tough. So to get the most uh, bang for your buck, so to speak, um, one option is a solution that you can use to cover a kind of larger areas. Um, solutions are maybe 
a touch more viscous than just yeah. liquid. So it's, it can be also a Definitely mess. than a cream. More viscous. Um, it can spread better than a cream. Yeah, much easier to spread. However, also much uh, messier potentially as well. So kind of giving patients a warning, making sure they don't just dump all the solution into their hand, that they're applying it to maybe even like a, you know, the, the area itself and then rubbing it in from there. But um, the other piece of that, um, especially when you get into like a little bit more uh, not so messy things like foams, which you can still, you know, just kind of spread around, but um, they're still covering large areas, but they're not as messy. Um, the cost becomes an issue. So when you start getting out of the realm of like creams and gels and things, you start getting into more fancy vehicles like foams, definitely expect the price to kind of reflect the nuance of that. Yeah, so foams are the upper class. Fo- foams are like um, Maseratis, upper class vehicles. <laughs> That yes, foams yeah. are basically Maseratis of the uh, the app the topical application world. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very common analogy that people use. <laughs> in case you didn't know, so it, always remember the cost. And I think from a from patients who especially work in like retail pharmacy and things like that, that's always like at the forefront of your thought. But I will say it's very easy to get caught up in patients that are or when you're seeing patients like in an ambulatory care setting or if you're you know, a provider like a PA, a nurse practitioner, MD, you know, you're thinking so on the clinical side of things, you oftentimes forget, hey, well, is this person actually going to be able to get this medication? Right. It's always something we have to kind of consider. So, And sometimes it's hard to know what's going to be covered anyway. So yeah. a lot of times it's just going to be rejects and you swap to something different. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that gel drying effect thing was always kind of strange to me. The way I remember it is... Um, which this is probably a terrible analogy, but it's like the little gel things that kind of squish in your hand. And then if you like rub them over dirt, like in your car or on the dash or on the door, it picks up dirt, but doesn't leave a residue. That's what I imagine gel is doing to your face. Yeah. Maybe. So, um, yeah, it like picks up the oil and stuff, but doesn't leave like a moisturizing barrier. Perfect. Yeah. That's what I got. Um, okay. So we're going to go through some of the drugs and there are a couple of new ones as well. So, um, starting with the topical retinoids. So the, you're going to be pretty familiar with these, but these are vitamin A derivatives. Uh, so we've got tretinoin, adapalene, tazerotene, so Tazerac, and um, triferritine, which is at Cleef, maybe. That's the new one. It's a new one. It sounds like a, um, sounds like a, I don't know, Irish name for an acne product. Cleef, you know, like Van Cleef. Um, <laughs> anyways, so these mechanisms of action, so they bind to um, RAR, retinoic acid receptors, within the keratinocytes. Um, so tretinoin, adapalene, and tazerotene have slightly different me- mechanisms than the new one, a cleave. Um, so they bind to the RAR alpha and RAR beta receptors. Um, uh, the cleave binds selectively to the RAR gamma, um, which is important because it makes up about 87% of these receptors in the skin. So I would presume that would make it more effective and, and have good efficacy. In theory, anyway. Right. Um, so after binding, the complexes are transported into the nucleus to activate retinoid hormone response elements, um, and ultimately, it's going to reduce comedone formation. So the process normalizes follicular keratinization, limits the cohesiveness of the uh, keratinocytes. They're not able to bind and form that sebum and reduces the comedone formation. Yeah, and and the thing is with that new uh, triferritine, the Akif, that, that is kind of like, at least from some of the things I've read on it, like in the news articles and whatnot, um, they've, that's kind of is their like claim to fame, but I, I don't, I, at least at this point, haven't seen any head to head data. So I think it'll be kind of hard to say. And, um, the side effect profile 
yeah. is something that's probably because the you know irritation to the skin and whatnot is probably going to be a little higher with that particular drug, but we will see. Yeah. Um, so typically speaking, these vitamin A derivatives are applied to like the entire area of the you know that's being affected by the acne, not just like spot treatment, um, and they can help with. Uh, even things like post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So if you have a patient that has darker skin that has had some of this hyperpigmentation happen, it can actually heal that and bring it a little bit closer to baseline again. Um, remind patients that acne may get worse before it gets better. So, you know, adherence is obviously a big issue with this. And so if you have a patient who's, they notice their acne getting a little worse but after they started this, they may be prone to stop the medication because they think it's not working. And so, uh, you know, they may not even get a full, like kind of a, an accurate trial run. And so I think it's uh, important to let patients know that also, um, applying them at night. So one of the things that can happen uh, with UV lights, we think that it can decrease efficacy because it can disrupt kind of like the chemical structure of the, um, the vitamin A derivative itself. And so, um, adapalene is considered to be the most light stable. If you were to have to you know, give that in the morning or whatnot, but try to do that at night if you can. There's also a tretinoin um, version that's available to be given uh, if a patient has to have um, UV light exposure, and that's the retin A micro that has the micronized mm-hmm. um, form because that's somehow the way that they've they've built that technology is it basically encapsulates um, the product itself in, in a particle size form and uh, keeps the UV from breaking up the actual structure. Um, the other thing is if you look at like the pregnancy and lactation um, grading of these medications, basically they, they say that any vitamin A derivative, the retinoic acid derivative can, can basically, or we don't know that it's a hundred percent safe in pregnancy. And we think that it may even be harmful. Although with topical agents, we typically don't think of like a ton of systemic exposure, but terazenatine specifically though, does have a contraindication to be used in pregnancy, even when it's obviously in this topical form. And so that is something to kind of keep in mind is that, um, that one in particular, the other ones say to kind of talk with the patient, outweigh the benefits versus the risk. This one says contraindicated a hundred percent. And so, you know, uh, there are people that will kind of follow it as a class rule, but um, know that one for sure. You definitely do not want to use during pregnancy. Yeah. And as far as this class goes, they have put some of them up head to head to give a little bit of guidance um, on which one to choose. So one made analysis put adapling 0.1% gel up against tretinoin 0.025% gel. Um, the efficacy was similar, though adapalene did have a bit better tolerability um, and had a, a quicker resolution of symptoms of acne. So adapalene won that one. Um, there was another trial from 98 that put tazerotene against tretinoin. That was 0.1% tazerotene, 0.025 of tretinoin. Um, tazerotene had a greater reduction in non-inflammatory lesions in that one, so it, it kind of won in that trial. Uh, 2001, there was adapalene versus tazerotene. So adapalene won the first, tazerotene won the second. Um, so this is round three. And um, adapalene was non-inferior, so their efficacy was the same, but uh, better tolerated. So um, less side effects and drying and that sort of thing. And that was the higher concentration of adapalene. It was 0.3% right? adapalene, yeah. tazerotene 0.1%. So, so that's that, positive. Yeah. So uh, definitely uh, adapalene is, is always kind of, at least me personally, has always been the one I've looked at to being... Um, kind of the go-to when it comes to these, but I am curious to see once this, the, how, how people are, what kind of effects people are getting with the new one, the Akeev. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
yeah, I'm a, I'm anticipating more uh, topical irritation and whatnot. Yeah. All right. So moving on from that to topical antibiotics. So one of the, there's so many different options in the market right now with these, but the main one that we kind of all know and love is the benzoyl peroxide because there's 8 million different strengths formulations of this one. Um, We also have some of the more uh, common antibiotics that we think of like clindamycin or erythromycin. Um, Those are going to be typically used in combination with benzoyl peroxide. We don't use those agents by themselves when it comes to treating acne. So a lot of times when we see those agents used, they're used in the like combo products like benzoclin for clindamycin or uh, benzamycin with that has erythromycin and uh, benzoyl peroxide together. Um, some of our other topicals though, we have like Dapsone, um, which is another class of antibiotic that is available. We have things like sulfacetamide. Um, usually that's going to be used in combination with like straight sulfur, which is the best smelling stuff ever. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but it's usually like as a, like a wash or like a cleanser or some type of thing that people can use when they're showering. Um, and then the two newer agents, um, is the minocycline, uh, topical agent. So we have one that's been out for a little bit longer. Um, the minocycline 4% foam, which is truly like FDA approved for acne. Um, Zeke is the brand name for that. And then the newer kit on the block is the minocycline 1.5% foam, which it's approved for rosacea, but I'm sure there's people that are using this off-label for acne. I can't imagine that they're not. Right. Um, but it's uh, Zilxi is the brand name for it, Z-I-L-X-I. And um, the, I haven't uh, seen prices on either of those, I, although I can imagine that they're probably up there. Oh, yeah. We got Maserati foam, and it's uh, a new drug. Yeah. I'd imagine. It's more of even a Ferrari. It's basically a Ferrari. <laughs> it's basically the Ferrari of the topical antimicrobial world. Benzoyl pro- the OTC benzoyl peroxide is like a 1991 Camry or something. Maybe. Yeah. 1999 Camry. <laughs> that thing is 200 miles and it's still going strong. <laughs> still going super strong. Um, so yeah, speaking of the Camry, benzoyl peroxide. Um, so like you said, it's got antibacterial properties as well as comatolytic so it can break up those comatomes as well um it is otc and prescription you'll see it all over the place marketed under various brand names um 2.5 to 10 percent um the one study showed a similar result as far as efficacy between the 2.5 and 10 percent ones but of course more adverse effects with a 10 percent um drying of the face being a big side effect that people complain about um so that just take that into consideration. If a patient needs tretinoin and benzoyl peroxide, you don't want to apply these together. So that's important. Um, you do, since we would want tretinoin at night um, for the UV um, situation, you would probably do benzoyl peroxide in the morning, but don't do them together. Um, also, warn patients that benzoyl peroxide can bleach clothes and hair. I actually had a buddy uh, in high school, and he always had... So he had brown hair, like close to black, but around the um, the hairline and on the side, it was always like red because he would use those wipes or whatever, the, um, the circular pads, and he would always just bleach his hair kind of on nice. the side. On so it was like kind of cool because it it's like <laughs> his own highlights he made. Yeah, he made his own highlights. Nice. Yeah, those were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the tretinoin that you mentioned too. Make sure, like that is specifically for that tretinoin that it causes an issue because um, I know like other... Uh, like things like adapalene, that can be used in combination with benzoyl peroxide. Like it's like a like epiduo is that combo. So it's the trend that causes an, an issue. Um, 
some other things, um, like I said earlier, like the erythromycin and the clindamycin, we're not using as monotherapy. We're always using those in combination with either benzoyl peroxide or at least one of the retinoids. Um, Dapsone, it has two different strengths that you can use now. There's a 5% that you apply twice daily and a 7.5% that's applied daily. Um, And it can help with both inflammatory and non-inflammatory lesions. Um, something else to consider is uh, sulfa allergies or really sulfonamide allergies is kind of like the main, um, besides penicillin, probably the second most common allergy to antibiotics that people have. And so Dapsone is, is considered a sulfone. It's not a sulfonamide. So even if a patient has a sulfonamide allergy, um, they are not like contraindicated from taking Dapsone topically. So kind of keep that in mind. Now, if you're worried about it, if it's something that you think that maybe if they have a cross sensitivity or something like that, then obviously there's other options. But know that you, it's not wrong to give them Dapsone, even though they have that allergy. Yep. Um, there is a potential like kind of yellowing or orangish discoloration of the skin that can happen with Dapsone um, if you apply it, especially with benzoyl peroxide. So kind of keep that aware in mind, unless you just really bleaches want this, the skin uh, as well as the hair. This really cool uh, tan going on. I mean, you can use that, or you can use rub on tan. I know I do. Or you could look jaundice and uh, have yellow skin. Or you can be super pasty and blind everybody and take your shirt off like I do. That's that's, that's a possibility. That's another tactic. Um, so new drug alert. Uh, another new one is Wenlevy, which I'm going to say the generic is uh, Glascoderone. Yep. Maybe. Glascoderone. Glascoderone. Topical. Uh, so this one's pretty new. So it was approved in August of 2020 um, and uh, will be available around mid 2021 is that right yeah I, I looked it up to see if we could actually order it and at least in our system now some of the bigger pharmacies and things maybe can but i logged into our pharmacy ordering system and it wasn't available yet so i don't know if it just hasn't hit the market yet because of the covid slowing things down not that i know of. okay okay um yeah so very interesting so yeah it's 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 not out yet at least you can't order it but uh what it does is it's an androgen receptor inhibitor uh competes with androgens that dihydrotestosterone that we were talking about for binding to the androgen receptors within the sebaceous gland and hair follicles specifically. Um, it's topical. You apply it twice a day. can cause tri-skin, um, but it uh, can have possible systemic side effects. So amenorrhea in females, um, the HPA axis suppression, and also hyperkalemia. It's it's interesting. So is it pretty targeted to, um, to just the topical, do you think? So y- yeah, it's, yes, as far as the activity itself the problem is is those case reports have come up with the systemic side effects so if you look on like lexicomp as of recording this like you know i don't know uh, how quickly they're gonna update this but um they have those like dry skin is just like a blip and they have all these like systemic you know like the ones you mentioned a couple others like listed as their like adverse effects to watch for so there is some systemic absorption and i think it's probably because they don't fully the, the mechanism that we we said was like their theorized mechanism but mm-hmm. they're not really a hundred percent sure how it actually like truly treats acne so there they're may be interacting with some other receptors that maybe they're not aware of at mm-hmm. this point um but yeah some definitely some things to watch out for i mean it seems um, kind of intense to me but i guess there's other drugs that we're about to talk about that do interact with hormones as well so yeah yeah interesting so watch out for that one. We'll see what see what happens. We'll, yeah. As more data comes out, maybe we'll have an excuse to do another episode about acne. <laughs> acne number four. Acne four. All right. Oral antibiotics. Um, the 
I know for me personally, the, the ones that I typically think of when I'm thinking of oral antibiotics for acne is going to be things in the tetracycline class, specifically doxy and minocycline. Um, now, there are people who will be put on things like erythromycin or even Bactrim um, or azithromycin, uh, kind of long-term for acne. Now, obviously talking antimicrobial stewardship-wise, that's probably not, especially the macrolides. I mean, geez, we already have enough issues with resistance to macrolides, so the last thing we need is more of that. Um, Nobody's going to be treated for pneumonia. Yeah. And then with the tetracyclines, um, tetracycline itself is probably not a good option because of like the potential for side effects and things like that and cost. But doxy and minocycline are probably the two most commonly used in the kind of the go-tos for oral antibiotic agents. Um, and we'll talk about kind of the, you know, anti, how they can be applied with antimicrobial stewardship and all that as well. Um, Bactrim, though, that's one of those things that for me personally, I would say it's probably a good idea to save it for a patient who um, has, you know, maybe been treated long term for back with Bactrim for like maybe another type of like skin and soft tissue infection and then use Bactrim for that patient's acne if you needed to go that route. But if they've never been exposed to Bactrim at all, then I would say probably doxy or minocycline are a little bit better and um, save the Bactrim for like an MRSA infection or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so the reason why we even would go that route as far as antibiotics goes, because the systemic antibiotics, um, are definitely going to provide like a faster improvement compared to topical agents. Um, however, they typically are limited to three to four months treatment durations. So being the resistance being the main concern, um, we know already that the erythromycin resistance is probably the most common followed probably by azithromycin. Um, minocycline, as of now, is, is pretty rare. The resistance to it is pretty rare. Um, you know, and, and like I said, doxy is also a good option, um, in my opinion. But uh, if an antibiotic is stopped um, and then needs to be restarted, so let's say you put a patient on doxycycline and then you need to restart them, it probably would be a good idea to start restart them again on doxycycline as opposed to maybe switching them to monocycline um, just because you've exposed that person to that antibiotic, you might as well expose them to the same antibiotic again. So if resistance happens, it's more so towards that instead of other agents in that class, um, which is kind of going back to my point with the Bactrim. If you have a patient that's been exposed to it a lot for other types of infections mm-hmm. or whatever, maybe that would be a good option for them and save the doxy in case the, they run into an MRSA infection later on in life, you have that in your back pocket. Right. Um, whenever you're starting one of the oral antibiotics though, it is important to also give them benzoyl peroxide or like a topical retinoid, um, at the beginning of treatment along with the oral antibiotic to kind of like bridge therapy. Um, and a lot of times when you're going this route, patients have already been on topical agents mm-hmm. and you're just kind of adding on this anyway. Right. But this isn't is, standardly what you're going to start with. And yeah. They're going to fail other things. So just make sure that that's, those continue when they start the, the oral agents. Um, minocycline, uh, does have extended release formulation designed for acne. Um, so that's definitely an option and it's the, uh, the Solodyne, um, is the brand name for it. And they have a whole bunch of different strengths that are on the market. Um, basically the dosing would be one mg per kilogram per day. Um, it's kind of the optimal dose. And then you would just round up to wherever the nearest, um, formulation is based on that person's weight. Um, doxycycline, you know, a lot of times patients get put on the hundred milligrams twice a day. With doxy, the issue is, again, the resistance and all that stuff. Um, we do have two different 
sub-antimicrobial doses available for doxy. So we have a 20 milligram tablet that is a twice daily um, dosing. And then we have a, um, a 40 milligram tablet that's basically a combination of 30 milligrams immediate release and 10 milligrams extended release. I think I had that right. And um, both of those are, you're basically getting the anti-inflammatory properties of the doxy, but you're not getting um, enough of a dose or high enough of a dose to start inducing the potential for resistance when it comes to other um, microbial, you know, that could be on the skin. Right. So, uh, and then I actually had something brought up because um, there's, I've heard a, a couple clinicians saying that, that um, really the, those type of antibiotics don't have anti-inflammatory properties that you're just trying to kill off the bacteria. So in case you've heard something similar, um, I don't, I'm not really sure where that information is coming from and I didn't get a chance to talk to that person themselves. So I'm kind of curious though, because I've, I've pulled multiple studies now showing about or showing like kind of how doxycycline and minocycline specifically can reduce things like TNF alpha, um, different interleukins, um, you know, just different, uh, inflammatory, inflammatory mediators. mediators or cytokines, things like that. So, you know, I, I'm, if you hear, happen to hear anything like that and you know more information about it, for sure send it our way. But um, as far as I can find, there's lots of information saying that they do have anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. properties. So, yeah, just in case that ever comes up with you guys, there you go. Yeah. So otherwise, um, there's azelaic acid, so branded as phenacea. Um, it's an antimicrobial as well, comatolytic, uh, and it does have some mild anti-inflammatory effects, which is good. Um, it was as effective when put up against benzoyl peroxide 5% or clindamycin 1% in one trial. So um, it can work as well as both of those, and this is not an uncommon drug to see prescribed. Uh, it's also salicylic acid, which you're going to see frequently um, over-the-counter too. Um, it's a comatolytic agent, and um, speaking from experience, can be drying, tough, pretty tough on the skin, um, at least for me. Benzoyl peroxide comes in combo, like we said, with a lot of antibiotics. So clindamycin, erythromycin, and adapalene, those are all branded uh, prescription drugs um, in combination with benzoyl peroxide. And there's also uh, Xeana, which is a combo of clindamycin and tretinoin. Um, And like Mike had said before, the antibiotics need to be in combo with benzoyl peroxide um, as opposed to the Xeana, which is in combo with the tretinoin. I remember when I was uh, probably like 18 or 19, I'm working on a, as a, like a pharmacy technician. I'd get one of those benzoclin, mm-hmm. you know, packs that you have to basically reconstitute and, com- you know, quote unquote compound. Mm-hmm. And I remember like you'd add like the sterile water to the little vial of, um, I, I guess, clindamycin powder. And then you put it into the benzoyl peroxide, like cream, and then like stir it up and it get all thick and stuff. I remember thinking like doing chemistry basically <laughs> just over here making medicine making like a stuff, mad scientist creating it from Ooh, nothing sometimes people are just doing big things it's like the the um the just add water cake mix yeah. or, or brownie mix you know like a cook <laughs> I, yeah i bake what about i'm a chef basically you know, how hard could this, this be the same thing I, I remember like totally because i remember the was it the erythromycin that needs alcohol, alcohol yeah. instead and so i remember being like <laughs> i knew that off the top of my head didn't even have to look it up <laughs> Uh, those are the days. This uh-huh. tiniest thing, you feel like a genius. Yeah, you know, I worked as a technician before school, but like all I did was just count. I didn't know anything else. So I, I came in, and these people who had worked as technicians or certified technicians for years knew all these things, and I knew nothing. I thought it was a big dumbo. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of inconsequential, you realize. I felt like that a lot. And then I would like 
feel like I go like do really well in like an organic chemistry test because I was an undergrad at the time. Mm-hmm. Come back to thinking I'm like you know hot stuff. Then I come out of the pharmacy and just you know some person who's been a tech for 20 years just blows me out of the water with their knowledge of like drugs and stuff like that and i was like i'm so dumb yeah I know. it's so discouraging but who's laughing now <laughs> just kidding. we've got a podcast hi we got a podcast do people you have up. a podcast sure don't no maybe she does i don't know nah, maybe she could she, she never know the pharmacy technician no. podcast that'd be good that would be good there's got to be out there oh, no, I'm sure. i actually had some great uh some great uh, technicians that I work with. In fact, one of my technicians, I'll even shut this out, one of my buddies, uh, Austin from back in the day, who actually trained me when I was a tech, he went on to do like management and stuff like that for um, the like a, the retail pharmacy and like on the store end side, mm-hmm. and, like did some other cool stuff and like travel around and, and whatnot. So I kind of lost contact with him other than like social media. He, um, he's now finishing pharmacy school and he's coming on rotation with me. Oh, no way. Yeah. And, um, he, uh, I remember because he reached out to me, I hadn't talked to him in years, and yeah. he actually, like, he said, Hey, Dr. Corvina. And I was like, Dude, don't <laughs> call me that. That's, that's gonna make me feel so stupid. Uh, but no, he, like, literally, like, he was like one of the most patient people, like, when I was an 88, 18 year old. Oh, you said he's finishing pharmacy, he's finishing school. pharmacy, so he went back, like, way on, like, oh, way nice. in, like, into adulthood kind of thing. And, um, he was the one that was like a senior tech and trained me back mm-hmm. when I was like a dumb 18 year old that didn't know what ibuprofen was. And he like showed me how to like do certain things and stuff. So it's going to be really cool to like see him all the, you know, yeah, all the way great. finishing pharmacy school and stuff too. That's awesome. Anyways. Um, all right. What else? Oral contraceptives. Yeah. So oral contraception, we typically think of as a, a good potential option for our female patients. In most cases, um, the, Estrogen component is going to be pretty much the same with a lot of these different agents, so the ethanol estradiol. Um, but we also have the various, as you know, progesterone components of these these agents. So um, some of them are classified as being um, less or more androgenic than others. And so one of the things to kind of pay attention to is if a patient is struggling with acne and, and controlling the oils in their skin and whatnot, um, making sure that if they are using oral contraception, that it's maybe one of the more anti-androgenic progesterones. Uh, and so to give you some examples, some that have more anti-androgenic effects would be like norethandrone or norgestimate would be two um, big ones. And then there's also one that's like a true like anti-androgenic progesterone, and that is the drosperinone. So that one is going to be... Um, considered by most i think to be a little bit more anti-androgenic even though the other ones resist kind of the inter- the andro- androgenic effects of of that um hormone and so there was even like a small randomized controlled study that um compared uh a yaz product um so it was a drosperinone product versus a, a, a norgestimate i think they used orthotricycline and um the yaz gave a little bit better um, benefit compared to the norgestimate but None of them are considered wrong. They would all be better than some of the other progesterone components that are out there. So definitely if you have a patient that um, is needing oral contraception and, um, you know, is, is struggling with acne, using one of those agents would be would be the best. And, and again, anti-androgenic being that you're getting that reduction in sebum production and basically taking away the, the food supply, if you will, for that bacteria. Yeah. Um, so that's one um, mechanism that acts hormonally. Another would be spironolactone, uh, which you probably recognize from your heart failure and blood pressure lectures, uh, but also competes with 
aldosterone uh, with aldosterone for receptor sites in the distal renal tubules. Um, so it well it increases sodium chloride and water excretion, um, and that's how it is the potassium sparing diuretic that it is in heart failure and blood pressure, uh, and it also has anti-androgen effects. Um, so the big thing with this is it can cause gynecomastia, which we know is a um, a uh, uh, counseling point in heart failure and blood pressure. So uh, you're only going to want to use it in females for acne uh, because it is an unfortunate side effect uh, in males. Typically for acne, the dose is 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams. I'm sorry, the typical dose um, yeah, for acne, for acne right. is 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams. And blood pressure, it's much lower, um, 25 to 50 milligrams for, for blood pressure. Which, which, too, if you think, like, well, we do use spironolactone in males when it comes to heart failure and stuff, that's the reason why. is because we're using lower doses. Right. When you talk about these extravagant doses in acne treatment it's definitely that kind of capacity risk goes up and you know maybe not be the ideal side effect if i had to trade acne for gynecomastia take acne all day take an acne all day all day yeah. can't bench press your way out of gynecomastia i don't think <laughs> pretty i'm pretty confident that's a real that doesn't help so yeah for sure all right what else we got the, uh, big, the big guns yeah there's the big guns huh um so accutane so isotretinoin. A lot of you have heard of this because it um, is very teratogenic. Um, it has an I pledge REMS program that you have to uh, um, that you have to enroll in. The um, the girls and the boys have to um, enroll, and there has to be a negative pregnancy test for the for the females. I believe within seven days of even being having dispensed the the medication. Mm-hmm. So it's very tightly controlled. It. For that reason, um, and for others, it's only used in severe recalcitrant nodular acne. Um, if uh, if the, a milder acne is causing scarring, you can consider this and that. Um, but it's sold under various brand names, not just Accutane. Um, Myoricin, Zenitane, Clarivis, um, Absorica, Amnesteem. I believe that I more recently dispensed Zenitane was the most recent one I did. Um, but yeah, it, it can be a pain, but it is effective. Um, there's information that the pharmacy has to fill out and that the doctor has to fill out for the iPledge program. Yeah. Did you ever get on Accutane? When no. No? I did not. Didn't I did. get that severe. I never actually went to the doctor for it. I had significant acne, but I just never, you know. You were just like, screw it. Well, I, I just didn't even know it was an option because my mom didn't tell me. <laughs> Come on, I was like, mom. wait, there's prescription stuff? Mrs. Swanson, come yeah. on. <laughs> just suffering in just silence. Just suffering in silence. Yeah. Constantly getting made fun of on the playground. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, I definitely was on Accutane, and it was the worst. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember, like, any time you'd get, like, like any kind of cut or anything like that, instead of, you know, healing properly, it would just turn over, like, this scabby, like, nasty-looking thing on your really? skin. Yeah, oh, it's gross. I was just like, there's this is not going to be effective for me in gross I, um, whatsoever. Very early on, I adopted the, um, I guess it was probably a benzoyl peroxide type of, you know, um, I don't know, the, the circular, the circular, cloth that i was talking about before i'm trying to think of the word but it's like a cotton swab type of thing and it just dried my face out so much and i just had dry skin like forever so i was like acne and dry skin and if i used any acne product just like my skin would peel off it's just <laughs> the worst yeah that was it's a, it's a time in my life i'm <laughs> glad it's gone and uh yeah, I'm glad I took Accutane nowadays, but um, obviously because it yeah. cleared my skin up, but that was not a super fun time. No, not a fun time. You're not getting dates with that, with that no. face, believe me. No. <laughs> so, Sorry no. for all you suffering with with acne. No, it's like, I went through it. I feel you. It's, it yeah. sucks, but it'll get better. I promise. Oh, hopefully. There's, Maybe. There are people who don't. That's true. Um, okay. So to bring it all home, 
Um, just to give you a couple kind of you know, options as far as the different um, severities. So mild acne, um, again, we're typically starting off with either like a topical retinoid. We're thinking uh, maybe a benzoyl peroxide. Uh, we could even use like a combo. Um, and if you start with one and it's not enough, you can always just combine them as well. Like use the benzoyl peroxide in the morning, maybe the retinoid at night. Um, maybe if one retinoid's not doing enough of a, you know, you're not giving a patient enough relief, then maybe switching to another agent. You could also start like topical dapsone um, in mild acne as well. And then, um, you know, there's other options as well. If it's just straight comedonal acne, then maybe like salicylic acid and there's some other things. But when you get into the moderate stage, that's when you're definitely going to want to use at least combination of topical agents. Um, and then a lot of patients, especially if there's like, you know, a lot of redness, inflammation and stuff, then um, maybe adding on an oral antibiotic at that point, um, along with their topical regimen. Um, and then, you know, you, sometimes maybe you'll even use a topical retinoid, benzoyl peroxide, and a topical antibiotic. Uh, and that, you know, if you don't want to use an oral antibiotic, um, there's some patients that will use all four. Um, uh, maybe if the antibiotic did, oral antibiotic didn't do enough, then maybe you switch it to a different one. Um, you could also look at if it's a female patient using um, their topical agents along with like an oral contraceptive to or um, spironolactone. And then when you get into the severe acne, that's where you really want to consider the oral antibiotic if you haven't done so at this point, um, because you want to take down that, that inflammation and redness and all that, because it's probably, again, much more severe. Um, and then if that's still not enough, along with, you know, using the topical um, agents as well or topical combinations, then maybe looking at oral isotretinoin. Um, and the other thing we didn't mention with um, Accutane or isotretinoin is it is still a, a retinoid. It's just an oral version of one. So telling patients that it'll get worse before it gets better in some cases is is important because I know mine did. Mine got mine got worse for like the first couple weeks I was on Accutane. And I was like, oh, no, what has my mom done? <laughs> Why do I have to go through all this? Great. <laughs> and uh, But then it got much better as yeah. the time went on. So, um you know, making sure patients are kind of aware of that as well. But uh, yeah, severe acne, at least you want to do oral antibiotic if, if isotretinoin is not an option and then combining that with probably a combination of topical agents. And um, then don't forget your, your other spironolactones and oral contraceptives and all those kind of other outliers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anything else uh, with that stuff we missed, Cole? No, that was great. We've got the, what was that, three new drugs in there? Bam. Hot off the presses? Maybe. Yeah. I think the Eclipse has been out for a little bit, but that's all right. Well, Top not since we did the last podcast on it. Yeah, so definitely it, not. Now it's official. <laughs> it is officially official. All right, y'all. Thank you guys so much for listening to this, as always. Um, I uh, will put our emails and everything like normal in the show notes. If you guys have any questions, please reach out to us. If you have... Um, you know, any comments or questions that you want to do through social media, we're on all the platforms. If you want to text us directly, um, send a text to area code 415-943-6116. Um, you'll get an automated response at first, um, just asking if you want to add, like, you know, to our phone book and all this, that, and the other. Um, if you don't, just wait, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can, um, or put that in there, and I'll still get back to you either way. But just don't think that I pulled a fast one on you. <laughs> if you get that automated message, like, hey, this isn't him. <laughs> And uh, thank you guys so much also for the 
people prescribing on um, uh, subscribing, not prescribing. Subscribing. Well, hopefully some of y'all are prescribing in your maybe professional life. Yeah, but um, thank you guys so much for subscribing to Patreon. Um, that's definitely uh, been awesome to see that growing, and I hope you guys are enjoying the lectures on there. Um, you know, if you have any suggestions for improvement there, um, definitely let us know. And, uh, if you need anything, definitely reach out to us. We're happy to talk to you guys and I actually love hearing from listeners and stuff. It's, it's awesome. So thank you guys so much. Have a great one. Take care.